Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Howdy, truth seekers. Welcome to another gripping installment of Tech Talk, thrusting you headlong towards the second quarter of the 21st century. And who better to do the heavy lifting than Matthew Dickerson? Matt, we're now deep into the 21st century and we're all gearing up for the next big push. But first things first, what's been happening in your week? Well, I do like that term, truth seekers, James. I like, <laughs> if someone's going to call me a name, call me a truth seeker. Truth I like seeker. that. Yeah. yeah. How dare you, you truth seeker. However, I just worry that it's got connotations about people who want to believe in fake news and conspiracy theory. You know, right. They go seeking their oh, alternative yes. truth. Yes, no, that's right. But, but that wasn't my intention, folks. Please, oh, good, good, I'm just going to back what, right away from that term now. I just... I like, the, I like that idea of the alternative truth. No, no, there is one it's, truth. Well, there's facts kind and of. there's not yeah. fact. But it was funny because I actually had a dinner the other day. I was at a function and sitting there and I don't normally like to talk too much technology at the dinner table because sometimes people aren't focused. I know it's hard to believe some people aren't focused on technology out what? there, James. But what? <laughs> exactly. So, and I have to have dinner with them sometimes. So I was talking about general things and one of the gentlemen actually at the table said, oh, by the way, I've been listening to your podcast and I've just got a couple of questions about electric vehicles. So I'm yeah, sure happy to answer those couple of questions. That's all easy. That's kind of a commonplace scenario because people are more focused on them now. Anyway, a lady at the table said, Oh, well, it's all a bit silly, this whole electric vehicle and climate change thing, silly. isn't it? Silly. Yeah, all <laughs> right, a bit silly. Okay. Yeah. And I just, I paused and I went, oh, do I really want to start a scene at this nice dinner that I'm at? Oh, I can't help myself. I'm seeking the truth, James. I'm seeking the truth. <laughs> I said, oh, what do you mean knowing that I just wasn't yeah, going to yeah, like this? Right. You, you asked the question, what do you mean? And then you thought, oh. As I was saying, gonna... as the words were coming out of my mouth, I went, oh, I don't know if this is a good idea. Anyway, Smart her answer way. was that yeah, right. all this climate change seems a bit silly because we'll just adapt just like we did in the Ice Age. Oh, right. uh, and I went, well... Press some buttons and we'll adapt. <laughs> that's right. So a couple of things came to mind, which I did express to her. I said, so do you mean if I lived in a Pacific nation that starts going underwater because of climate change, I'll adapt like, say, Kevin Costner's character did in Waterworld, mm. where you get some gills behind your ear when we can suddenly live underwater? She didn't really seem to know what I was talking about there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I said, well, actually, the more I think about it, I agree with you. I think we will adapt. And do you know how we'll adapt? We'll adapt by building renewable power stations, wind turbines, solar panels. We'll adapt by building big batteries, maybe pumped hydro. We'll adapt by driving electric vehicles. Yeah, because, of course, evolution is a slow thing that takes millions of years. Mm. Yeah, and we've got this climate change that's going to be occurring over centuries, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I think our fallback is in adaptation is some sort of cultural evolution, like something that can happen in the matter of decades. That's right. So I think as much as this wasn't where she was thinking, but I think we are adapting and that's what we're doing with what we're doing with our technology, with what we're doing with the way we behave. So we're adapting. I said, I agree entirely. I think we will adapt. So go out and buy yourself an electric vehicle to show you're adapting. And it just went downhill from there. I won't mm. continue on with the conversation. But it's, it's, I think we've got a long way to go is the bottom line with that. Even though I just assume that everyone out there now accepts that climate change is happening, that we've got to start doing this. We've got to change our behaviour. Mm. We've got to start making a difference in what we're doing. I feel like we're almost at the stage when someone says, oh, that's all a bit silly, isn't it? I feel like I feel like saying to them, oh, you're back there <laughs> in the conversation. Catch you know? up. <laughs> like, well, um, yeah, this lady even talked about her children and her grandchildren. She said, well, look, my children are all got good jobs and they're quite successful and so they don't need to change what they're doing. And I went, hmm, 
there's another yeah. little point. Let me jump yeah. on that one as well. So yeah. anyway, it's an interesting conversation. And one of the things that I learned from a gentleman many years ago is that if you're at a certain point in your understanding of something, and as you say, some people are back there, you've got to take them on a journey with you. You've yeah. got to kind of step them through the process to get them up to where you are rather than jump straight to where you are and you lose them straight away. Bingo, yeah. So those gotcha moments, you know, where we try to show them how wrong they are, <laughs> that, you know, well, Doesn't my father used to say that, you know, as soon as you tell someone that they're wrong, you've lost the argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got to realise how stupid and wrong they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you've, it's just, it's about slow education. It the, is, the yeah. slow burn. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. And for some people, the burn is very slow. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's my little adventure from truth seeking this week okay fantastic well look um we've sort of brushed on the topic already in an era where the phrase fake news is bandied about so freely and frequently there is a broad blur between what is genuine truth and fact and what is embellished bunkum so it may surprise you just like it surprised the folks at samsung when they got pulled up for false advertising. Yes, people, there are still defendable laws for misrepresentation. And Samsung Australia has been stung. Matt, what's the going rate for a spot of false advertising these days? About 14 mil in this case, but I do find that uh, a somewhat... 14 mil, wow. 14 yeah, mil, yeah. Okay. I find that an interesting statement, false advertising. Do you mean people out there think what they do in ads is real or is the truth? <laughs> that guy wearing the lab coat is a scientist <laughs> or a doctor. Right. Surely everyone just assumes that, oh, that's an ad. Of course they'll say that. But in this case, Samsung got themselves in a bit of trouble by bringing out some new phones that were water resistant. Fantastic. Most smartphones now, most of the big manufacturers are making smartphones that are water resistant. Mm. And then they put ads out that showed people frolicking, frolicking in the ocean, frolicking in the pool. I think frolicking was the problem they had, not so much where the, the phones <laughs> Too were. Too much frolicking. Too is the much issue. frolicking. Right. They were frolicking with phones in the ocean, underwater. And if you actually read the fine print, which of course zero people do, yeah. it gave warnings about the water resistance features of the new phones that were coming out. And it said things like, don't put them in salt water, which seemed a bit opposite of what was happening in the ads. Don't deliberately take it into a pool or into the ocean, for example. Don't take but it But what if you're going to get an important call and you're in the surf? <laughs> That's right, when you're hanging 10 out there on your surfboard. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, yeah. But don't take them below one and a half metres, for example. Don't take them below that level for more than 30 minutes. So mm. they had a certain IP rating and those that IP rating gave a range of details of what you could and couldn't do. Can I just, can I just jump in here? Sorry, Matt. But I don't trust any of this waterproofing business. I don't even wear my watch in the shower. Um, I, look, I've lost a couple of phones um, by accident, by dropping them in the pool or whatever. Yep. Um, but, um, yeah, look, my wife loves to wear her watch, waterproof watch, while she's showering and all that sort of stuff. Yep. And we've gone through a number of different watches that just stopped working because of it, you know. I just don't trust any of that. Yeah, well, I, I get that yeah, it might, they might cop a bit of a splash, but don't take them swimming with you. Deliberately. And so the ACCC was thinking about you when it handed down this fine because, yeah. exactly right, if you read the instructions, you'd say, well, I'll just treat it as if it's not waterproof and then if occasionally gets a bit of water on it, that'll probably be okay. Mm. And that's the design of, or the design features they've got with the new modern smartphones that have got some sort of water resistance. Not deliberately taking out of the ocean to film your friend as they're frolicking in the ocean or in the surf. Yeah. And so when they showed all these ads, it was completely the opposite of what it said on the instructions in terms of what you should do with uh, it. So in the end, ACCC said, you know what, Samsung, we think 
that you're misleading oh, wow. in advertising, which again, I kind of shake my head at, but misleading in advertising. So we're going to whack a little fine on you just to remind you that you probably shouldn't do that again. And I'm a bit the same as you. I don't go crazy with it and throw it around in swimming pools or anything mm. like that. But there's a few things where I've actually taken advantage of it where it's quite nice. I've been out on my bike at times and in the old days with a phone that wasn't water resistant, if you had a few drops of rain, I normally have my phone bound on my handlebars and it's stop oh no what can i do with my phone where can i put it what part of my jacket can i put it in to keep yeah. it out of the water now if i'm out riding and a few spots of rain start falling i go oh, i can handle that and i have yeah. confidence that it can handle that the other one that i thought was interesting was one day we we're on holidays and my eldest daughter who probably was 19 at the time turned up to the holiday apartment we we're staying at and she'd come straight from uni and i picked up her phone and moved from the bench we're about to serve out some food and it was sticky with, I can only assume, alcohol and other things that might have been mixed in that alcohol. <laughs> and I picked up my phone and said, oh, that is disgusting. It's sticky. <laughs> so I went over and flicked on the tap slowly, not a jet stream coming out, and put the phone under the tap just to rinse off all the alcohol. And my daughter, I've never seen her move so fast, oh. <laughs> dived across her room, <laughs> thought I was destroying her phone deliberately. And I said, no, no, it's all right. One it's a water resistant phone. Yeah, no. it was. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's the sort of thing, a little rinse off, get a cloth out and just wipe it over with a bit of moisture on there to get that stickiness off. I think that's fine. And that's what it's designed mm. to do. It's not designed to take it to the swimming pool frolic around <laughs> be on the bottom it's of the, the pool frolicking. Yeah, yeah it's the frolicking Scooby i think that's diving. the problem yeah. <laughs> um yeah so i always read water resistant as don't get it wet and waterproof as it's water resistant yeah it's probably yeah. right <laughs> that's a safer way to go <laughs> watches are usually better though watches are usually given a 50 meter rating so yeah, most yeah, watches yeah. Are 50 and, and so i've washed the car with my my what my watch has gotten wet before and, yep. and that's fine but i'm not going to take it in the shower with me i'm not going to take it swimming with me even though it's got a little um timer for when you're doing swimming and cutting laps and stuff yeah, like that right. i still won't do it <laughs> yeah fair <laughs> enough so anyway this is the the warning out there to every company electronic company in particular don't go on Make up stories with your ads because mm. sometimes people might get misled yeah. and worse still you might get a $40 million fine. Well, that's an interesting precedent. Yeah, because um, I wonder what other things that that could be translated into, like um, just just a loose picture or something shown in your advertising, uh, showing something might not be water resistance or whatever. Yep. Um, yeah. Some feature there. Some little feature. Yeah. And next thing you know is you've got a $40 million lawsuit on your hands. Do you reckon the ACCC could talk to some of our politicians? Work around them <laughs> a few fines there. Hold them to some promises. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh-oh, it's scam alert time again, folks. Uh, here's a cruel new tactic that's been used across the WhatsApp f platform. It's called the mum and dad scam. It's dodgy as and is clearly making money for the perpetrators who are fishing for the over 50s, exploiting their parental goodwill. Matt, what are the sad details in this latest issue? Now, if you got a message from your child that said, Hi, Dad, this is my temporary number. I'm using it because my phone has been lost. Can you just send me some money quickly so I can get a new phone? Love, your son. Now, mm. you get that message at 2 a.m. Mm. with some urgency around it, then what parent isn't going to help out their child? Yeah, you're not thinking deeply um, no, at, at certain up, times. Yeah. Working up in the middle of the night and an urgent message from your child and, of course, you're going to say, oh, okay, where do you want that money to go to? How can I get it to you? Gee, I don't want my poor child to be left out there in the wilderness, overseas, or whatever it might be. And, of course, people do send money to their mm. children in that scenario. But, of course, it's not their child. It's not 
anything vaguely related to them. It's some scammer that's come up with a new idea about how they can get money out of people. And it's this whole thing. We've talked about it before. It's almost brilliant, the mm. psychology of it. People are sitting there thinking, now, what's a way we can get people when they're most vulnerable? Someone said, give anything to one of my children, then I'm not going to hesitate to give something to my children. So mm. it's a really clever way, nasty, terrible, vicious, disgusting way, but really clever way to try and get people when they are vulnerable. Because you start talking about your children, start talking about something where they're in trouble, something where they need your help. Mm. Parents are on this earth, for one thing, that's to get their kids to adult age, and that adult age seems to be 30 these days, mm. get their kids to adult age and set them free in the big wide world. So, of course, we're going to do anything we can. Well, well, I wonder myself, like, you know, there's, in, in this moment right now, there's many ways I can see around avoiding this problem. But when you're really busy, when you're doing something, you all of a sudden get this message or you, you're woken up or whatever, and your brain's not really ticking that sharply about this sort of thing. I can imagine, yeah, you've, you fire away that money, you know, just automatically. But my gut tells me that I'd probably ring my son and say, hey, what's happened? You know, yeah. Give me some more details. So you want to speak to someone on the other end of that number that you've just received. Yeah. Yeah, and that would be my instinct. But then, yeah. Well, and yeah. it depends how people communicate. Now, so many people communicate via text, via, via text, yeah. a, a range of different tools in there, but it's, it's via text, not via voice. Um, one parent who got scammed some money said that the message he received, he knew his son was overseas, and the message he received would have been about one o'clock in the morning where he was. Mm. And he thought, well, I don't want to ring him at one o'clock in the morning because obviously he could be at a dorm, could be somewhere yeah. where he can't really talk, so I'll just help him out. But one parent, I loved it, one parent said, as soon as I saw the message, I knew it wasn't from my son because my son's an English teacher and there were a couple of spelling errors in the <laughs> message. He said, Great, even yeah. that's right, wow. even though my son is in an urgent emergency situation, he still wouldn't send a message with some grammatical errors or spelling errors in I there. I need so. to instill good grammar into my children <laughs> yeah, because right. for this very reason. Well, some of those scams, they don't have very good grammar or very good English in them. But the scary part is people are being caught by this. People are sending hundreds, thousands of dollars, and they're not going for big amounts. If you saw a message from your son that said, quick, Dad, just send me $200,000. I just lost my phone. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Hang on a minute. Yeah. But if someone said, just send me a couple hundred dollars so I can go and buy a phone to get me out of trouble, yeah. you'd probably go, oh, okay, yep, sure. I'll, I'll do that for you and yeah. we'll work it out when you get back home. Yeah. So those sort of monies, but they add up, and we might have mentioned it in the last couple of weeks, we're up to our running count at this stage, up to May this year, was $205 million that Aussies have lost to scams They've been reported to Scamwatch. Yeah, right. Now, how much have we lost that hasn't been reported? We don't know because it wasn't reported. But you could logically say a lot more than that. And that's a 166% increase over last year. Yeah. So that's a bit scary as much as we talk about it. And this is the thing. We all know that if we get an email from our long-lost cousin in Nigeria that's got an inheritance for us, we all go, ha, I'm all over this one. I can spot that scam. So the scammers are coming up with other methods, other tools that aren't as obvious because we've learned about one scam, but we haven't learned about all the others. So you've just got to be alert the whole time. If we do, just on your toes. It's almost exhausting, isn't it? Mm, it is, actually. Now, hybrid shipping has only been around for about three years or so. It's been taken on by the Scandinavians in a very much a growing way, and you'll be surprised by that, folks, won't you? Ferrying people between Norway and Sweden. But we all know how the French like a bit of attention, so they've 
joined in the game now. The world's largest hybrid ship will take to the water in 2024 to shuttle people backward and forwards across the English Channel. Matt, another thing for the bucket list, perhaps? Yeah, and I'm interested with this one. They talk about being hybrid, and you kind of think, well, that's great if you're running a ship in a certain area where you know you've got enough battery power. Obviously, hmm. hybrid or uh, battery-powered ship would lend itself to shorter journeys, i.e. English Channel, English Channel, rather than going across from Africa to Australia or you know, long chip journeys out there. So that makes sense. So I can only assume that they're using hybrid rather than just straight electric so that they can sell this to shipping companies to say that you're not going to have downtime if your battery finally goes flat. So they might have it set up. You can do so many trips across the English Channel and then you'll need to charge up. Oh, but I've got two more trips to do for the day. Mm. Sure, you can use it. They've got gas on them. You can use liquefied natural gas and you can keep charging up the battery, keep running on the electric battery. And then when it's docked overnight, you can then charge up. But it does give us an indication, doesn't it? We can do it with cars. And the thing with cars is you can build charging stations along a road. A bit harder out in the ocean to build charging stations. Mm. Maybe someone will do that, but maybe we won't need to. But I think this is really the, the big issue I see here is this is really a forerunner to what I think will be the long-term solution, which will be hydrogen ships. Mm. We've got liquefied natural gas. We've got electric motors. We've got the hybrid concepts that run on that electric batteries for as long as you can and then let the gas kick in. But big picture, long-term, I think running hydrogen and probably running hydrogen to produce electricity to then charge batteries to then power a ship in that way seems like a much more efficient way. And we've got diesel electric trains. They obviously worked out a long time ago that having all that torque available in electric train from essentially zero makes more sense with electric motor, but you need a good way to keep that electric motor running. So they put a diesel engine in. Getting to the stage of the hydrogen-powered fuel source and produce electricity that way, that's the big picture here. But again, it's great to see people coming up with the ideas, people implementing these ideas. It may not be in the final format or the final form, but it's in a form that's a step to the final solution. Yeah. Yeah, certainly uh, the, the technology doesn't end at this point here. And uh, yeah, with all things, technology keeps on rolling and we look forward to seeing what happens as a result. Yeah, the, the shipbuilders actually said specifically that they've left room on the vessels for renewable updates, such as bigger batteries, and also putting some solar panels. Now, we've talked before about cars. Everyone says, why don't you put solar panels on the car? Yeah. It all comes down to surface, surface area. area. Yeah, that's right. Mm. But a ship, you've got a bit more surface area. Mm. You've also got a bit more power needed as well. But I can see, again, that that would be a solution that some ship makers might come up with, depending on what they were carrying. So a cargo ship with crates or containers on there, I can see it would be difficult to build solar panels there. But when you look at some of the things that ship big things in the container, so wheat. So you fill up your ship with wheat, there's usually a big platform that's just sitting there doing nothing. Imagine filling that with solar panels to at least keep those batteries going longer. Well, I see that um, most of these hybrid ships, they're all for um, ferrying passengers rather than ferrying cargo too. So. Yeah, that's right. And that's exactly what the case is in this one. It's, it's ferrying passengers. But I would assume across the world we've got dramatically more traffic in shipping cargo mm. than people. I don't have numbers there to support that. I always prefer to have my data and facts. But my gut feel would be that we a lot more of our shipping traffic producing CO2 across the world would be around ships that are carrying goods rather than people. So, yes, here this one's with people. And I think that'll be a bit of a novelty for people on there as well. That'll be, oh, let's go and get on that electric ship or that hybrid ship. I think that will have a certain attraction to it as well. But, again, people are building to these solutions and going down that path. 
I suffer from a very frustrating condition, listeners. Probably more frustrating for my wife than myself, though. I cannot imagine a room decorated any differently to its current appearance. This is a debilitating condition, and it's cut short my career in in interior design. Excuse me while I put my teeth back in. Cut short my career in interior design rather rapidly. I cannot even picture a wall with a different colour on it. Everything about design has to be in past tense in order for me to appreciate it. But IKEA understands my trouble and has created a virtual design tool to turn my disability into an ability. Matt, this is a saviour for the decoratively challenged. And I'm about the same as you. I know people that look at a 2D plan of a house, a building. And they can visualise everything about it. Absolutely right. And what we can do to to spruce it up. Yeah, they'll they'll give you great detail. And I'll look at a 2D picture and I struggle exactly the same as you where I go, I can see the 2D picture, I can see the lines, but I just just can't picture it in my mind's eye as to what that would look like in a 3D version. But but if I step into a room and someone says, oh, look, what do you reckon we should do with this room? And we've done this many times with my wife. And I look at it and I go, the room looks pretty good to me. (laughs) (laughs) The problem is, then your wife says, now if we just move the couch from that side to that side and open up there and move the TV cabinet there, that'll fix the room. So you do all that, wipe the sweat off your brow, and then... No, actually, it was better the other way, darling. <laughs> and I think that's the real advantage that yeah. IKEA has come up with here. Rather than use our scant muscles and remove all that furniture and shuffle things around, with this particular app, it's all about augmented reality. So you take some imagery of the room, even look at the room through the actual app itself, and it can, first of all, remove your existing furniture in a virtual sense. So straight away, phew, well, that saves it's for a furniture company, isn't it? Well, absolutely <laughs> fantastic. It's like they're trying to sell you stuff. It means you don't have to try and squeeze that couch out through the door, which yeah. will only go out the door in one particular angle and one direction, which only removalists know. Mere <laughs> mortals like you and I aren't allowed to know those secrets. So you can do that in a virtual sense. And then once you've got an empty room, of course, then you can choose IKEA products for some strange reason. It only seems to have IKEA products there. And you choose those IKEA products and you put them in the room in a virtual sense. Of course, it knows the dimensions of your room. So you don't need to guess whether that particular couch or that particular setting will will fit in that room. And then you put them into the room and you rearrange it. So you can give that to your partner and say, rearrange that as many times as you like. Once you're finally happy with that, that's when we'll actually physically put it in there. And of course, once you've got it rearranged, you just say, I'll buy that range of products, thanks very much, and they'll be delivered, I'm sure, within a couple of days, and then you just drop them in there. You still got to get through the door in that tricky way, so (laughs) you can't get away from that one, but it just sounds fantastic. But I actually think this whole concept of augmented reality is the next big frontier. We've all seen virtual reality or play with virtual reality, and that's fantastic when you immerse yourself completely in another world. But augmented reality, we're seeing more and more in things, and I suppose things like a fighter pilot, a jet pilot, which... I'm not one, but you see it in the movie, so it must be right, where they've got a whole range of imagery projected in front of them. So they can see the outside world, Mm. but they can also see information projected into their helmet or onto their screen. We see that with cars a little bit, where the navigation will come up on our windscreen, our speed, our navigation will come up to show us where to turn next. So that augmented reality like that, and this is just another example of that. You take a real room and augment that with some furniture that you bring in in a virtual way. And you can tell whether or not the Strasbourg goes with the Fenugan, um next to the Ooglerblug, um as well. So that's a really good thing too. Only, only if they've got them all absolutely right. So okay. maybe they're slightly wrong, their colours or size might be wrong, but you assume they've done the research you can there. recolour your Strasbourg. Well, you would think so, wouldn't you? Okay. It seems like an obvious thing to do. Okay. 
Here's a story uh, that's a little bit less te- tech-focused and a little bit more like a cool new science thing. Apparently, you're more likely to become friends with someone who smells like you. And that explains my awkward, instinctive, dog-like behaviour when we met all those years ago. I feel <laughs> absolved, Matt. We have a similar stink. That's right. It must be it. <laughs> so there is some technology here because I had struggled. I thought it was an interesting story from a science perspective, but the good part is it's all being tested with an electronic nose. <laughs> so I thought the tech nose. in the nose was the interesting oh, wow. part. Bionic so nose. Yeah, that's right. Cool. They, they did some research and they put a group of people into a room and said, there you go, you people don't know each other. You just go around and just talk to whoever you feel like talking to and just strike up some conversations. And they found in not a very long period of time, people were congregating in small groups, which just happens at any party you turn up to, any barbecue you go to, the pub, whatever it might be. So people were doing this, but of course they were all wearing these electronic noses. So they didn't know what the electronic noses were detecting, but they were detecting the smells of the people around them. And then when they analysed the data afterwards, they found consistently that the groups of people that ended up together all had a similar-ish smell. So it did seem to be that oh, you're one of mine, you're like me in some way, shape or form, the smell is giving it away, we should be to friends because that smell is what's linking us as something that's together. Now, the opposite thing happens with a male-female relationship because the scientists are uh, hypothesising that when you want to produce offspring, which is the only reason that a male and female meet, (laughs) when you want to produce offspring, then you want your immune system to be different to your partner's immune system. So if the smell is different from those two people, ah. then you're more likely to produce offspring that have got, has got a stronger immune system because you're combining two different immune systems. How cool is that? So the challenge here is, if I like my friends by their smell and I like my wife by the opposite smell, that therefore means that my friends can't be friends with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's not the research. That's me <laughs> hypothesising now. <laughs> the other part I'm not sure about, and I, I looked through the testing, I couldn't find any mention of this whatsoever, is if I find that a certain person that I want to be friends with uses brute number nine as their deodorant, if I put on brute number nine, I don't know if brute number nine exists, but <laughs> if I put on the same deodorant, does that mean that they'll be friends with me because then I smell in a fake way, yeah. the same as that other person. Yeah. So if I want to be friends with someone, I go to the supermarket, I follow them around for, I don't know, weeks until they finally buy some deodorant. And then when they buy deodorant, I buy the same deodorant. It sounds like stalking, doesn't it? So <laughs> I'm not recommending we do this. But if you did do that, would that then make people be friends because their fake smell is the same? Interesting, interesting, interesting. I just think it's just a world of confusion. I <laughs> I could never be a dog. I think you're just walking around there so distracted. Well, that's why my dogs are so distracted. <laughs> All those smells out there. That's right. Looking for well, they, someone who smells like me. They have got a larger smelling area too. The uh, component the of their nose, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the landing area is significantly larger than our landing area. So there's more components, more items that will land on that and let the dog smell. Apparently Neanderthals were like that as well. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've got a good sense of smell. It's showing our throwbackness, is Throwback. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To our Neanderthal cousins. For those of you who are holding out on taking out a Netflix subscription, the news is they're bringing in the advertisers very soon to kick off an ad-supported tier to their streaming service. So all the same shows, Matt, but 
if you don't commit to a subscription, then you just get toilet breaks. Is that right? <laughs> toilet breaks. Yeah, I remember the old days of toilet breaks. You don't have them anymore. You sit there watching a streaming show going, I'm busting out of the toilet, but I can't go. <laughs> okay, okay. And I wait for the ad. Oh, there's no ads. No ads. Oh, no. <laughs> I just have to find a convenient moment to pause. But then there's no moment no, to pause. No, no. That's, they're very tricky, the mm. programmers, aren't they? So I remember when we used to sit there as kids watching TV, and back then we had one ABC channel and one commercial channel, mm. And you'd see ads and I'd go to dad sometimes, oh, let's just turn over to the ABC. There's rubbish on, but at least we don't have to put up with these silly ads. <laughs> and he'd say, son, we don't pay anything to watch this. So the reason we don't pay anything is because those advertisers are paying for it. So let's watch the ads. And I'd go, okay, that's a fair call. But when pay TV was announced, I went, oh, I like the sound of that. <laughs> I'm going to pay a few dollars a month, not a lot of money each month, and I can do it with ads. Yes, that mm. just sounds fantastic. But then the sneaky little people start off with pay TV, and then they introduced ads. And you go, well, what was the point? I wanted to pay money with no ads. Netflix and other streaming came along, and of course, again, no ads. We can watch those streaming shows, and if we're really clever and we want to go to a toilet break, we can work out that we can pause any time, so you don't even have to wait till the ad break comes along. Yeah. You just pause and off you go to the toilet. So that's been fantastic, but now Netflix is trying to work out why they're losing some subscribers, what their business model looks like going forward, they pay a huge amount of money each year to produce original content. It's no longer about just pick up stuff that's out there and play that they want their own original content. That all costs money, and losing subscribers doesn't sound like the best thing to do it. So this is the concept. Some people have said, their market surveys have said, it's too expensive. I'm going to one of the other streaming services because they're $2 a month cheaper. You guys are too dear. So Netflix's response is, well, how about we make it cheaper for you? as long as you're happy to put up with ads. So if you are happy to put up with ads Mm. and you think it's too expensive, sure, knock yourself out, pay a bit less and see how long you last before you then say, I'm going to pay a bit more (laughs) and get rid of these ads. (laughs) I'm sure they've done more market survey than just me, but that'd be my theory. I'd go, just pay the extra money and get rid of those ads. (laughs) Isn't it funny how things go full circle though? Well, it is. You're absolutely right. I thought of that when I read this, I went, this is back to the old days of yeah, being ads. Someone had a brilliant idea. That's right. Let's some millennial ads. got there and said, you know what? We could sell some advertising space, which would generate some revenue, and we could charge people less because of that revenue. Oh, what a good idea. Why didn't we think of that? And some TV exec on the verge of their retirement went and forehead slap. That's you know? right. <laughs> okay. Awesome. I mentioned the Scandinavians and their alternative transport earlier on. They never seem to sit back and wait to see how things are going to go in other countries. They just love to jump in with both feet. And now Volvo's commercial truck group is all over hydrogen fuel cells for their semi-trailers. Matt, they love racing ahead on these things. Where are the reports coming out about this um, in the 21st century for the truck fleet they've got? Where are they at for that? Yeah, and it's interesting. They must have been listening to our previous story about the hybrid ship and mention of hydrogen. Now they've done it already. (laughs) Wow, they're onto it, aren't they? But yeah, Volvo's commercial truck group is actually testing out hydrogen fuel cell semis. Now, we do talk about light vehicles, sedans, SUVs, that type of thing, going EV, and that makes sense because... Most people, there are some that are exceptions, but most people do very few kilometres a day. So having a battery version, an electric version of that makes a lot of sense. But for trucks, if you've Mm. got a truck that sits not on the road, not transporting goods, it's not making money. So the last thing a truck company wants to do is say, let's move to an electric truck. That's fantastic. We'll drive that a long distance. We can put lots of batteries on there. And then, you know what? We'll just sit around for a couple of hours and do nothing while we charge it up again because it's a big battery. We've got to spend longer charging it. So I think when we talk about hydrogen for ships, for example, I think hydrogen for 
large trucks or semi-trailers will be the way that will go. And that's exactly where Volvo is at. And Volvo do have a good range of commercial trucks now as it stands. So having them be innovators in this space can put them a long way ahead. So they've actually got at the moment a hydrogen, or not just one, but they're testing a hydrogen version of one of their trucks. It does a thousand kilometers on one refueling of hydrogen. And then the hydrogen refueling takes a bit the same as petrol or diesel, it takes about 15 minutes. So maybe a little bit longer than you would with a normal fuel fill up. But that's the sort of thing that they're talking about. That's what they need. They need to be able to drive for a mm. thousand kilometers. Mm. So you can do those large trips and then 15 minutes later, do another thousand kilometers and on you go. I think what we'll see is this space will mature fairly quickly compared to cars. And then we might start to see some cars with options around that. So if you do drive your car a long distance on a regular basis, then obviously having hydrogen might be an option to go forward. The biggest problem for Volvo and the testing they've been doing so far is the refueling stations. So there's not mm. a hydrogen refueling station around every corner. So they've got to plan that trip out or in some cases put those in themselves. And then the second part about it is where you get your hydrogen from. You want to make sure that your hydrogen is being produced with renewable power, which there is more and more being produced that way now. But the majority of hydrogen, if you say, hey, I just need some hydrogen to put in my vehicle, then most of that you're going to buy is being produced with dirty electricity rather than clean electricity. Again, in the early testing stages, I'm okay with that because we'll get there. We know that we can produce hydrogen through using renewable power. It may not be produced that way yet, but once we get the things in place, mm. I think people will say, well, now we need to ramp up that production. And people will pay a premium for it. Yeah, and I just think um, yeah, with these major changes that are happening, and they are happening, there's just such a big opening for entrepreneurs. I mean, yeah. social media is full of, oh, it won't work because it won't work because it won't work because, and that's where the entrepreneurs step in and go, yeah, we can fix that. There's an opportunity. Um, an opportunity smiles on them. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. one of the things that I found fascinating was in the article it talked about the fact that there are only about 60 hydrogen refueling stations in the US at the moment. And I went, wow, there are 60 hydrogen refueling stations? <laughs> Depends which way you look at it. I thought there'd be approximately zero. I thought yeah. Volvo might have had to create some of their own refueling stations. But no, there are 60 across the US mm. at the moment. And I, I dare say most of those would be in California. But the fact that there are some there already, and I thought, well, there's not many hydrogen vehicles out there. Why has someone put in a hydrogen refueling station? What were they thinking? But again, people are thinking ahead, as you said. They're seeing an opportunity. And if you had a petrol station, you might say, well, we should put some electric vehicle chargers and some hydrogen stations in here because they're going to be needed and then we'll be in front of the game. Bingo. And people were worried about uh, petrol stations uh, becoming obsolete or whatever. I, I just think, you know, when we only had horses and, and it was horse traffic only, they must have been saying these cars will never catch on. How yeah. are you going to refuel when you head out over the mountains or whatever? That's right. So um, when I was selling some hay, come here and <laughs> refuel your horse, hay and water. It was just so easy and convenient. It was, but then again the hay and water might have turned to petrol and you move on from there yeah yep and an entrepreneur stepped in and um, started making money here's something i didn't know starlink the satellite satellite based internet service which has been running for nearly two years now has two flavors I knew about the standard residential sort of Starlink. I know a couple of people who popped a satellite dish on their roof, and I even thought about doing the same thing myself for a little bit. But like me, you may not have been aware of the roving surface service that is on offer. It's called Starlink RV, and it's been under review. Matt, what came out of this? 
Yeah, so you're right. There are the, the two versions. Starlink RV is the one that you can use as you move around effectively. And then Starlink stationary or residential service, I think they call it, which basically goes on a house and that's it. Now, I was actually intrigued by this because obviously one of the things you've got to do is get it set up on your house, get it tuned into satellites, which these aren't geostationary satellites. No. We've talked about it before, low Earth orbit. So they don't stay in the one spot above your house. That's so, right. In fact, they go from one horizon to the other in you know, less than an hour. It might even be only 15 minutes or so or, or even less. Yeah, and we've got the concept here is that they're talking about thousands, tens of thousands will be up in the sky before we know it. They're not that many up there at the moment, which is why most of the Starlink services, they keep saying these are beta only, don't expect to have service all the time, but it seems to be pretty good so far for anyone that I know that's actually got it. So that's the station on, on an RV or on a vehicle mounting up your Starlink service and then having it still work. Now, it doesn't seem like you can use it while you're driving along. It really is. You get your RV in inverted commas somewhere, park it, and then away it goes. And it must have to have the ability to track in to those satellites. But you can still get it. It still works. So hmm. when you travel around, there are people who put all sorts of different boosting devices and 4G or 5G devices in their Winnebago or their caravan so they can travel somewhere and they get somewhere and cross their fingers and hope it works. At least with this, if you're going to stop somewhere you can see the sky, mm. you're going to be able to still get your internet. So with so many people saying, I don't need to be in the office every day. I can get out and about and enjoy nature or just go and visit somewhere else and still do my work. The big thing for them always is, oh, but what am I going to do with my internet access? I need to be able to get on my computer, still do my effective work, but I need a decent internet connection. Some of those places that have got pretty poor internet connections, oh, I can't go and visit there and oh, it's a bit frustrating. And then they give up and they just stay back in their home and do it and don't really go on those adventures. But this sort of thing here, I think is a real game changer yeah. for people to be able to get out and about and keep being connected to the world, but not having to worry about where they are. If you can see the sky, you're right to use it. So this is a quite fascinating. The speeds you get are not quite as good as the speed you get out of your Starlink stationary, your Starlink residential. And I assume that's because they've got to be able to track, and obviously it's a smaller device, I assume, as well. So you're just not getting that same data throughput, but you're still getting pretty good sort of speeds. I mean, you're probably getting around 30 or 40 megs per second mm. on an average sort of basis, so that's not too bad. And again, not as good as the residential device, but for most people that allows them to do their work. The latency, you're still getting maybe 60, 70, maybe even 80 milliseconds latency. So that's, again, not quite as good as what it might be if you just had a normal terrestrial service, but way better than geostationary, which is no often... No good for playing Call of Duty or Fortnite. Probably not. That that extra 30 or 40 milliseconds may yeah. not be... Uh, may actually make It'd a difference. enough to get my 14-year-old cranky. Exactly right. But it's a way load better than going to something like geostationary, which is often a six or 700 millisecond latency. So... Overall, I think if you were on the move and wanted to get that connection and have that reliability, yeah, go for it. It's still a bit expensive. It's still about $135 a month compared to, say, the residential service is 110 a month, so you're paying a little bit more for it. Mm. I think the reason they charge more for it is just because they can. I can't see any inherent reason that it would be dearer, but if they can get away with it and people want the portability, then go for it. Yeah, very, very cool idea. And we're going to finish up with another story about going off the grid, folks. EcoFlow is a company that is all about cutting the ties from civilization and heading for the hills like a modern-day Grizzly Adams. Matt, living the simple life needn't mean cutting the power, though. It doesn't, James. The idea here is that if you do go somewhere, anywhere, 
off the grid, you take your RV, you've got your Starlink RV service, and then you go, well, that's great, but then I get the diesel generator out and you've got this yeah, running in the background, in the background. <laughs> destroying this beautiful ambience <laughs> of this wonderful scenery that you've set up there. Log cabin living, folks. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> then it runs out of fuel. You've got to go down and buy some more diesel. So the idea here is that you can obviously set up and be off the grid. You can put some solar panels, maybe a little wind turbine up, put a battery in, but that's all a fair bit of work setting all that up. What EcoFlow have got are these power kits where they effectively say, You've got the whole lot in a bundle. So you've got the battery you need, you've got the inverter you need. You can use panels from them, solar panels from them, or have your own panels. But the idea here is that you can go and set up somewhere, lay your panels out. You might stop at a camping site that you might say, well, this is a night spot. I'll stay here for a couple of weeks. And so you do. But again, rather than have that diesel fill-up problem, you've got your battery, it's fully charged. You put your solar panels out. Even if you're not getting all the power back in that you're using each day, it's probably going to drain the battery slowly rather than all be gone in a couple of days. So you're going to get extended lifetime. And it really is just a matter then of how many solar panels you put out and can you keep it going. Mm. You're not going too far in terms of cost. Again, if, you, if you've got the Winnebago, if you've got the big caravan, you're probably not going to balk too much of the sort of cost. But they make a couple of different kits. You're talking about a two kilowatt hour kit up to say a 15 kilowatt hour kit. And you're talking about three and a half grand up to about 13 grand for those. Now that excludes the solar panels. But again, some people have got solar panels already or some people have looked around for different solar panels and want to add those on. But solar panels are getting cheaper and cheaper. So I can imagine the 15 kilowatt hour kit, if your idea is to sit up there, get your computer out, run that, you've got your solar panels charging that up while the sun's shining, you're going along quite nicely, you get to night time, you can still run some lights, run your TV. 15 kilowatt hours for mm. a couple of people living in their own little Winnebago is not too bad in terms of you can get a reasonable amount of time out of that. If you had your whole house running on 15 kilowatt hours, it's probably not going to give you a lot of usage, a lot of time. But yeah, for just a small outfit there, I think that's really cool. But the portability, this is what we're talking about here. Now, the portability, you just sit up, you roll out your solar panels on the ground and then plug them into your battery and away you go. Isn't that, it's just crazy what you can do these days. It is, yeah. Oh. yeah. So, and just imagine saying to your boss, I'm going to go off the grid out somewhere in the boondocks for a few weeks. But it's right, I'll connect into work each day and keep doing my work. How are you going to do that? Well, you combine your off-the-grid electricity with your Starlink RV and you just go, why do I need a house anymore? Dang. This is my living. And your next-door neighbour's Grizzly Adams. <laughs> you got to be a fascination with Grizzly Adams. <laughs> I you? do, I do, actually. And as the lights begin to dim in the studio, I can see that our time is pretty much up. The hamster who runs so feverishly to keep the dynamo turning for so long, well, he's all but run out of puff. Time to pack up before we're in complete darkness. Matt, I guess you're off to plan a trip across the English Channel. It would be actually quite nice. I try and get involved. Yeah, I try and get involved in as many electric vehicles as I possibly can and drive <laughs> them. So electric ships, maybe that's the next thing I've got to go and try and play around with. Yeah, I reckon it's going to be awesome and um, wouldn't, be, uh, wouldn't be bad to be there for the maiden voyage. Yeah. Thanks for another cracking tech talk. And I'm off to go and watch another episode of uh, or rerun of Grizzly Adams, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in once again, folks. I'm James Eddy, wishing you a wonderful week and hoping to catch you again in another week's time. Hit that like button. See you soon.